As I looked ahead to our schedule, somehow I got the feeling that talking about false teachers next week wasn't going to bring out the warm, fuzzy feelings of Mother's Day. <laughs> so um, the, next, the next week is, um, is also, week after that, is going to be a missionary report. So uh, basically we're going to cover some things today and then we're going to have a couple of weeks off from our our uh, Colossians study, and we've done that in the past for Christmas and other things, but um, what I just wanted to note as we begin today is that as we progress through this letter to the Colossians, what we've really tried to do is is uh, take the different sections and, and amplify them. Uh, one example is in the toward the beginning of the book as Paul was praying for uh, uh, the, the followers of Christ that were there in Colossae in verses 9 through 11, we kind of saw that as a template for spiritual growth. And so we really explored each of those uh, uh, phrases and words there to, to, to help us to understand, you know, what is Paul praying about? What, why, why does he want to pray for them in this way? And so we've done that throughout. And, and without exception, then we come to the area of, of talking about false teaching. And I've tried to amplify uh, this topic as well, just because it's so prevalent today. I, I was listening, uh, reading one um, uh, writer recently who said, you know, back in the day, so to speak, right? And I remember some of those days. Um, you know, you, you had a limited uh, uh, reach. If we go back even farther, my goodness, you know, it was difficult to even have something written passed around. Well, now it's instantaneous. The electronic reach is instantaneous, and anybody can read what anybody says. So it seems like today everybody's a prophet and everybody has an angle. And so false teaching, uh, we would have to say, is actually even more prevalent today simply because whatever flavor can be out there is. And so I wanted to, again, just expand on this topic. And so far we've taken more of a big-picture view of uh, of false teachers, uh, we saw uh, that false teaching is expected. We looked through several different scriptures all throughout the New Testament that basically said in, in all different ways that there is going to be false teaching. We read warnings and descriptions of the, these people beginning with Jesus in the Gospels, and ironically, we end with Jesus in the letters to the books uh, to the uh, churches in Revelation. And so Christ bookends talking about false teaching, but there's plenty of, of that in between. And so as we move forward then, what I want us to do today is um, kind of take another layer of this, of this idea of, of, the, of the identifying and understanding uh, false teachers. So the first is just the context, who the cheaters are. And some of this is going to be a little bit of review, but I think it's important for us to look at this. We've been talking mostly about the content of what the teachers have been teaching, the false teachers. But today I want to deal more specifically with their character. It's probably common knowledge at this point that Paul's purpose in writing to the Colossians is to warn them about the threat of false teachers and what they are actually teaching. I've decided to call them cheaters. Okay, simply because twice in the passage, Paul warns the Colossians not to let these false teachers cheat them. And we'll talk more about that as we go on. False teachers 
are going uh, to either add to or take away from the word of God, from the truth of his word, or from who he is. False teachers are selfish by nature. However, their manner almost certainly will be attractive and pleasant. We understand from previous study that they will be able to communicate well and convincingly. In verse 4 of Colossians uh, chapter 2, Paul says that they will use persuasive words. Um, these aren't stupid people. These are people that know what they want to do. They have a plan, and they are seeking to execute that plan. They can influence from outside, or they can come from within, from within the body, from within the church. And as we continue, we will parallel some of the points that Peter makes in his second letter alongside of Paul's description. And we can even glean a little bit from what we read in, in, um, in Titus. Peter gives a, a much fuller description and warning regarding false teachers. Paul's treatment is more focused. He concentrates more on the teaching rather than the teachers themselves. And again, we're talking all false at this point. We aren't going to be studying Peter's writings per se, but instead we're going to use them as a larger cross-reference to our context here in Colossians. And then we'll note what some others say about false teachers along the way. So that's kind of who these teachers are. Um, they come from without. They come from within. Their, their purpose is to lead people astray. Um, I don't want to give them credit, okay, or anything like that, but... Um, I don't want to say this. I think that in their own hearts, they might feel like they are well-meaning. Okay? But the scriptures clearly teach us that what they are doing is not, that they are misguided, that they are self-deluded. And they really raise themselves above God and his word. And so that's what we're, we're going to be seeing. So, that's who the cheaters are. Now what I want us to do is, is look at the, the motive. Why do these cheaters cheat? And again, it's cheating us, or at least attempting to. There's several different areas, um, and some kind of fall in a category within some of the things I'm going to tell you, but I'm going to give you just a bigger picture. And the first one is pride. This can also include power, Right? Prideful people want to tell other people what to do because they happen to know best. Colossians 2.18 is a good illustration of this. It says they are vainly puffed up. Uh, a, a false teacher is vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Uh, what a picture. We can imagine someone with their chest puffed out and their head held high thinking that they have all the answers, Right? That's, that's the mental picture that we have here. Someone who is very confident in their deception. 2 Peter 2.10 tells us that they despise authority, are presumptuous, and self-willed. Now, there's a couple of things to mention about this here. Obviously, we have a short list. Despising authority. This really has to do primarily with the governing authorities around us. 
They're critical of government and authority in general. They don't want their authority questioned. And they want the freedom to do what they please. Rulers stand in the way of that. Now, whether we like it or not, because um, sometimes I think we bristle a little bit, those that are without, we would call the government, those that rule us, they, they do have things in place for excesses, right? For example, we, we have to be incorporated as a church. Why? Because we really have to take care of things financially responsibly, you know, we don't we don't want to become a criminal organization, all right. And society says that's not good. Um, so you know, it's, it's different things like that that we're talking about. But isn't it interesting that many cults make an enemy out of the government, either literally or figuratively? Have you noticed that? They make an enemy out of the government. They're the boogeyman. We can now uh, you know gather around this leader because he knows best. The passage also says that false teachers are arrogant and stubborn. That's what those two words mean. Folks, that is a lethal combination, right? They don't want to listen to anybody else. They know best, and you can't tell them otherwise. Wow. We're not talking about five-year-olds here. (laughs) We're talking about people who have an adult mind, who have a nefarious purpose, and who are out to, if they can, take people away from Christ. The other area is the area of sensuality or immorality. Second Peter again says, having eyes full of adultery. And then Jude 8, uh, don't have that one. Jude 8 says uh, that they defile the flesh. In Jude, it is actually a direct comparison to the immorality of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? He is directly comparing the motives of the false teachers to how they lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, folks, I want to tell you, I have no intention of, of getting graphic, okay? I understand our audience. But we need to take some time to understand what we're dealing with here. All false teaching is destructive. It is designed to harm the one who is being taught. But God wants us to understand that there is a selfish, manipulative side to false teaching that goes beyond power and money. It is when primarily men use their influence to violate others. Immorality motivates some false teachers. It is the ultimate purpose behind everything that they do. It's not just some byproduct. It actually motivates them. We have all seen the headlines and heard the stories. And frankly, folks, I'm just going to tell you, I don't care if it's one offense or if it's a whole string of offenses. It is horrifically destructive to individuals, families, and churches. And some of us in this room have experienced that. The next area that the uh, false teacher comes in with What motivates them to do what they do is greed. 2 Peter 2.3 By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. I left the deceptive words part in there just because there's a a tie-in, right? There's a tie-in with the false teaching to what they are trying to accomplish. 
And then we read Titus, but I wanted to see this again in verse 11, chapter 1. Teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. For the sake of dishonest gain. Yes, this is a major problem. Again, we have an abundance of examples of greedy false teachers, and this doesn't really require more instruction. We just need to understand that it is what motivates them. It's what God tells us is in their heart and in their mind, and it's what's driving them. One or more of these motivations always drives false teaching. Always. It's either the power and the pride, the sensuality, or the greed. How about the method? How cheaters cheat. Now we've covered some of this in the past, but I think it's important for us to keep it in mind again. There are two main aspects of false teaching. One is asceticism, and the other one is transcendence. Big words, we're going to talk about it again, right? These are rules and regulations talking about asceticism, usually involving depriving yourself of something in order to demonstrate spiritual discipline, right? And when you do that, then you get to go into a little bit higher plane of spirituality, right? You do without, you say no, uh, and, and it could be any number of rules that they decide uh, to do and, and that you must follow. In general, these rules are designed to manipulate the followers. Then we have this area of transcendence. Transcendence is experiencing a higher spiritual state through some greater knowledge or spiritual experience or some combination thereof. They use the experiences to artificially motivate followers. They use this extra information, this secret stuff that nobody has. Yeah, it's either kind of sort of written in between the lines of the Bible, and if I give you the right interpretation, then you'll get it. Or we take it from outside of the Bible and mix all these things together, and we give you something new and fresh, something insightful that no one else sees, that no one else knows, but me, the false teacher. Right? Now, we need to understand something. Asceticism and transcendency aren't all bad. Think about this just for a minute. As followers of Christ, we are told to put off the deeds of the old nature, put off the deeds of the flesh. That means we're going to do without some things, right? That's just a fact. If we're going to follow Christ, there are some things that we can't do. Also, we openly talk about drawing closer to the Lord by knowing Him better and spending time in His presence. The difference is the information that we're dealing with and where our focus is. The problem is when the devotion and experiences become the focus and that is often accompanied by error. Of course, when the teaching is wrong, the outcome is going to be wrong. You can't put wrong in and get right out of it. It's not going to happen. So this leads us to the main method that false teachers use, and that is that area of deception. We've seen it a couple of times already in the verses that we've looked at. Deception. This is in every aspect of false teaching. Just by the fact that it's false and someone is trying to tell you that it is true, it is deceptive, right? Just at its very 
core. It is baked in to what they teach. We can be deceived in so many ways, but what we're really talking about is, is how. So we are primarily talking about using nice-sounding words and slick speeches. Now, I hope that when I get up here, I don't sound like I'm just, you know, mumbling and things like that. I, I, I hope that, that what I'm saying is coherent, okay, and that it's clear to you. But at the same time, the motivation isn't, you know, let me see how I can get these people to do what I want them to do, right? There's also a lot of mixing truth with error. One thing that's really important to understand is it will most likely start out small and then the error will continue to be added. It's kind of like when you're poisoning somebody. You don't just give them a bottle of poison. You mix it with something that tastes good, right? I know all of you are like, well, yeah, I did that yesterday. And I was just, I was, I'm just saying. That's what false teachers do, right? It's a little bit of poison, a little bit more at a time. Then when you start to, you know, Get a little more tolerant of it, they're going to give you some more. Until? So how does the prideful cheater look? False teachers become an authority unto themselves, as we read. And this happens by default because they won't listen to anyone else. Now, I'm not talking about a certain management style or someone who leans more toward a strong leadership. I'm talking about a person who seeks to trick, control, and manipulate others for their own self-centered purposes. In essence, the church becomes their own little kingdom. They talk big, but deliver little of substance. Jude calls them clouds without water. Right? We have plenty of clouds with water here, right? But out west, sometimes the clouds go by and they're like, Drop something, right? Because that would make it an effective cloud. But when it just sails by and nothing falls from the sky, it's worthless. That is a false teacher. Paul writes to Titus and says that they are em empty talkers. They use a lot of words, but what they say is worthless. And I'm not talking about conversations you might have with some of your coworkers here, okay? I'm, I'm talking about lots of speeches and really nice slick sounding things but at the end of the day it doesn't bring us toward Christ at all the opposite is true it takes us away from him at times they focus on successes and not Christ attendance buildings and other projects or achievements right or if it's someone from the outside it might be their, their philosophical views and, and you know, their, their, their smarts and all those other things. Oftentimes, there is a lot of activity, but little spirituality. A lot of things going on, but not much of substance. Now, here's where my explanation is going to get a little bit trickier here, so, so work with me. A pastor or some other leader in the church can remain faithful to proper doctrine and they can serve the church but still live a prideful life. In other words, orthodox but arrogant. It can happen. I'm not saying that they're going to be most effective. I'm just saying they're not necessarily a false teacher 
but they can still be arrogant. The pastor can never make himself the center of the ministry, and the people can't do it to him. Is the pastor a leader? Are the elders leaders? Are the deacons leaders? Yes. Are they at the center of the ministry? Absolutely not. Christ is at the center of our ministry. And each one of us fall into this, can fall into this trap as well, whether it's about the church or a certain ministry that we're involved with. And we need to understand that it's not about us. It's about serving Christ and it's about others. Can we gain satisfaction from serving the Lord? Absolutely. That's called blessings. But we don't own it. So now let's talk about the damage. How cheaters hurt. I know some of you are saying, you should have saved this for Mother's Day. But anyway, we're going to move on. (laughs) For this part of our study, I, I do want to focus a little more on the book of Colossians. Paul uses two words for cheating. Beware lest anyone, in Colossians 2.8, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. This word has its root in taking someone captive. And it's used here with the idea of leading someone astray through false teaching. So the cheating here is cheating someone out of a right relationship with Christ. Now, notice I said a right relationship with Christ. We can't lose our relationship with Jesus, but we can certainly get veered off track. We're not talking about someone's salvation who is a follower of his. If it were, Paul would not have been convincing them and assuring them of their eternal relationship with the Lord. This is speaking of that healthy walk with God that Paul encouraged us to live in chapter 1. We can be tricked out of that. The next one comes in verse 18. It says, let let no one cheat you of your reward. This is a different word. And the word here carries the meaning of being disqualified. Thoughts go to a referee of some kind who makes a decision against us, right? If we would choose to live by their rules, then we are disqualified. We're not playing by God's rules. We're disqualified through the cheating of the false teachers. They aren't playing by the right rules. And when we play by their rules, God disqualifies us. And we don't receive the benefits, the blessings of following him as we should. Now, there are two ways that cheaters hurt. These two ways are found in the two ways that cheaters cheat. In verse 8, we are cheated out of a right relationship with God. Put another way, we are tricked and led astray from correctly obeying the Lord when we succumb to false teaching. There is no greater harm, no greater harm for a believer in Christ on earth than to lose our fellowship with our Savior. So the stakes are very high. And remember... The false teacher is extremely motivated, and the false teacher is slick. The false teacher knows what to say. They know what buttons to press, and they really don't care about those whom they're teaching. 
In verse 18, we can be cheated out of the rewards of living our lives for Christ. Again, applying what we just learned, we disqualify ourselves from God's blessing when we listen to false teachers. They cheat us by giving us different, a different set of rules to live by, which replace Christ as the one who we are to serve and to please. Now, I don't think that this conclusion has come as a surprise to anyone, but it's still essential that we keep aware of the consequences. Can we expect a proper walk with God when we are caught up in error? Right? And yet, that's what the, the uh, false teachers seem to be promising. Right? I'm going to give you something better. And instead, we lose Do we think that we'll be rewarded when we are living according to a wrong standard? It just can't happen. Now, we might have some soccer players in here, I believe, right? And even if we don't, many of us know the basics of the game. Confidentially, I was never really a big soccer fan. Uh, But I do like to watch it live. I think it's a cool sport. I, I like how they, you know... But I just, I played football, you know. You can't use your hands. I can't use my hands. Okay. You know, it's. So let's think about this. We're a soccer player. If we keep picking up the ball, running with it, and throwing it at the goal, should it be surprised when we sit the bench? Right? It's not good. Ball comes our way, snag it up, right? (laughs) Run around, run toward the goal, like, hey, you can't do that. I'm, I'm doing just fine, right? As a matter of fact, no one gets the ball if I'm holding it and running, okay? Of course not. We aren't playing by the set of rules that the game gives us. So we say, wait a minute. The assistant coach told me to do that. He said to me, pick up the ball, use your hands. I know better than the head coach. So let me ask you this. I mean, we're assuming all that is true. Does that mean that we're going to have a right, right relationship with the coach? Probably not. Right. Are we going to share in the blessing of helping to defend our goal and to get the ball into the other team's goal? No. Why? Because we're not playing by the right set of rules. We have listened to a false coach. So let's put this in language that all of us can understand. When we allow ourselves to be deceived, we get cheated out of the relationship that God had intended for us. The the relationship they intended for us to have with him by trading it for something that actually takes us away from him. So in other words, this idea... Here's something better. I can grab onto this and I'll get closer. No, the opposite happens. When we try to live the Christian life by a standard that someone else gives us and goes against God's standard for our life, then we will be cheated out of the blessings that God intended for us. Let me tell you something, folks. It doesn't mean that someone has to stand up here and give you a a, a false message you know, all the time. It can just be something that you grasp onto that you hear or that someone posts on Facebook or whatever that goes against God's standard that you adopt in your life. 
That's all it takes. And so to whatever degree that we are listening to falsehood and thinking that that's going to produce the spirituality that we say we desire, it's going to take us farther off of who we are really to be serving. And that's why Paul is so concerned for these people. And so just like Paul, I say, don't let them cheat you. We aren't just losing something. We are losing something very precious while gaining something very destructive. And let's not forget that false teaching is a process. It is something that they come at us with. And again, it takes time. It usually starts small, as I mentioned before, just one little area of life. Now tell me if this sounds familiar. Did God really say that? <laughs> yeah, a lot, of, a lot of noise there, right? That's right. A quote from Satan that comes right from the beginning, straight from the Garden of Eden. Folks, we should question man, not God. False teachers turned that equation around by questioning God and requiring total allegiance to him meaning the, the false teacher. They aren't going to come and say, think about this for a minute, okay? Talking about a pastoral candidate. As your candidate for pastor, my primary goal is to shake all of you down and take as much money from you as possible, even if it means destroying the church and selling off the property for my own selfish gain. That's not how they're going to come. Another example. I want to become a member so that I can convince a small group of you that all pants are evil and that we must dress like Jesus did in order to be presentable to him in worship. I will eventually create a split in the church, taking some of you away with me as we take our bathrobes and go home. <laughs> now, that sounds silly, but let me tell you something. Some really silly, stupid, deceptive things have destroyed churches. Things that would blow our minds. So I want us to close with the words of Paul to the elders at Ephesus. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things. Now let's pause here for a minute. Coming from where? Without and within. To draw away the disciples after themselves. Now, yeah, there's going to be unsaved people that are going to get caught up in all this stuff too. But the false teacher's goal, the ravenous wolves' goal, is to get the followers. Separate the sheep, Right? To draw away disciples after themselves, therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. How do false teachers operate? They operate by deception. What is their goal? To draw people away and see them destroyed. To see their relationship with Christ be ruined. How can we avoid it? How can we avoid deception? First thing is watch. Be alert. 
I did play football a long time ago. I'm still sore. But uh, <laughs> one of the things that, that is a, a buzz phrase in football is keep your head on a swivel. I'm not exactly sure what that means. But I think it means to always be looking around as to what can happen to you, right? And if you don't swivel enough, there's that one guy that will catch you when you're not watching and knock you silly, okay? And I've had to pick myself up off the ground while there were people watching, (laughs) dust myself off because I didn't have my head on a swivel (laughs) because I wasn't watching what was coming. Folks, I don't care where it's coming from. Your television, your smartphone, you know, that, that, that latest preacher that you're listening to, the book you're reading, whatever. Deception is coming. Deception has a purpose. Satan is behind it. And it is not for your good. We need to be watching. The second thing that I think Paul is telling us here is this, is to remember. Paul did a lot of teaching in Ephesus. And so I don't think it was just the warnings that he was talking about, although he was highlighting that. We can expand what he was talking about here and even look at other parts of Scripture to help us understand that it means to remember. If we remember what we've been taught, if we bring to mind the truth of Scripture... That's going to really help our watchfulness. Would you not agree? It's going to make us a lot smarter sheep, even though mm, only going to get so far at that. I know it's a silly thing to say, but someone recently basically said, you know, how dense was Little Red Riding Hood that she couldn't figure out that the wolf in the bed wasn't Grandma? I mean, if you think about it, Grandma had to have been pretty homely, you know, for her to like, you know, you know what I mean? (laughs) I mean, probably on her worst day, Grandma didn't look like a wolf, all right? So, you know, the, the story just fell down from there. I was like, I can never enjoy that story again. But here's the point. When we are watchful and when we are mindful, we're going to be able to go, I think you're a wolf. You might sound good, you might look good, you might have wool all over you, but my, you have sharp teeth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this subject and as we think, yes, of every person in this room, but especially, Lord, the young people in our charge, I pray, Father, that you'll protect us. But Lord, I also pray that we will do what we need to do to protect ourselves. Save us from our own foolishness. From getting caught up in all the things that sound good. That seem exciting. That kind of tantalize us. The sensational. Lord, I'm not sure that we are supposed to be boring. But at the same time, there's something to be said about just a normal faith. A regular walk with you. And Lord, as I'm praying 
I think that if we were more successful at that, we might not be looking across the fence for something else. So convict us and convince us and protect us. But at the same time, Lord, as, as we're joining together in our hearts in prayer, I pray that I'm praying a prayer for these folks, for, for myself as well. We want to dedicate ourselves to you so that we don't lose out, so that we aren't cheated of the special daily relationship that we can have with the God of this universe. Heavenly Father, protect us. Protect us from losing the blessings that we can only receive from you. Eternal rewards. Yeah, we're not going to see it all now, but Lord, we want them. We genuinely do. May we not seek them elsewhere. Lord, it's no different, frankly, than trying to seek another relationship outside of our marriage. We can't endear ourselves to you while we're cheating on you. Protect us as we commit our hearts to you. In Christ's name, amen.